Hello, everybody. This is Charles Hayne. Welcome to the Week in Film Tech for July 11th, 2019. So this week, we've got an anamorphic adapter for drones coming from Moment. We have a new update from ShotPut. We have a new lens from Irix that's launching sort of a whole cinema line or hopefully launching a cinema line. We have all that and a Hey Professor about audio recording uh, this week on the Week in Film Tech. Hey, everybody, this is Charles Hain here with the Week in Film Tech. So the first story we're actually going to cover on the Week in Film Tech, I'm going to do the stories in the reverse order of the order I just told you about in the headlines, because why not mix it up, right? So the first thing I want to talk about is a new macro lens from Irix. So I'm going to be fully honest, Irix was not on my radar at all. There are too many companies making too many things. Just going to say it. Uh, it is very hard to keep track. There was a point in learning to be uh, a filmmaker and a nerd that, you know, if you knew Zeiss and Cook, you sort of felt like you had a handle on lens manufacturing. But now there are many, many companies, and many of them are doing really great stuff. Irix is a combination Swiss-Korean company, according to their website. And uh, I'm assuming that means Swiss design and Korean manufacturing um, because that would – be the more cost-effective option, and their lenses seem pretty affordable, but maybe they're doing some design in Korea and some manufacturing in Switzerland. I don't know. I'm not going to make assumptions here. They've done a few still lenses. They had a few still lenses that were super wide, like an 11mm and a 15mm, and then they came out with a 150mm macro, one-to-one, still lens a little while ago that got a bunch of really good reviews. I took a look at some of the reviews. People were pretty happy with the performance of the lens, and they've just released it in a cinema format. What does cinema format mean? A reminder again, you know, a still lens, usually the focus spins infinitely if it's designed to work with an autofocus system. A cinema lens, you're going to have teeth on that lens. You can use a follow focus. You're going to have consistent lens markings. You can do repeated follow focus. You're also usually going to have teeth on an aperture so that you've got that kind of performance. And then there's some other things that go into making a cinema lens, a real cinema lens, really controlling for breathing so that as you rack focus, you don't see breathing. That doesn't matter to a still photographer, but filmmakers, it can be very distracting. So there's a lot that goes into making a cinema lens more than just lens teeth. However, there are a lot of really wonderful still lenses that you put some lens teeth on them and you can shoot some beautiful images. Um, the Sigma Cine Primes are based on designs from their still lenses. And I shoot a lot of stuff on them and think they're quite beautiful. So this Irix 150mm macro is super exciting to me for a couple of different reasons. First off, it's a 150mm macro. And there are not a lot of those that long. There are a lot of like 85mm macros, 60mm macros in the world. But this is both 150mm macro, which means it's a very long focal length, but it's also a true one-to-one macro, which means you can get so close. You can have a subject so small in focus so close to the lens that it is a one-to-one relationship between the object size and its size on the sensor, right? So like a two-to-one macro means that an object is twice as big in reality as it is on the sensor. If it's two centimeters big in the world, it's a centimeter on the sensor, right? And if you have a two centimeter, you have a 15 millimeter sensor, it's taking up a big chunk of the sensor. This means I can have a one centimeter object, And I can get it to be a full centimeter, almost filling the frame in my 15 mil sensor behind the lens. That's super cool. That's super close. And if you're a macro fanatic, I shoot a lot of macro. I really like macro. I think it's always really nice to have at least one macro in any production you're going out on. You know, you're doing a music video. You can grab little details of like the artist's eye, the artist's lips, the artist's fingernails. Um, If you're working on a commercial, little things from the product, all that little stuff. Honestly, I like a macro on a documentary, right? I want to get little transitional shots, little personality shots, stuff like that. Um, A macro lens is a really useful thing. 
And, you know, the gold standard in macros is the airy macro. Um, it's really wonderful. It's funny. I'm not going to call out the reviewer, but I was reading a lens review recently by someone who was reviewing a macro lens and pointed out that as the focus got closer and closer and closer, exposure changed. And they viewed it as a flaw in the lens. That's actually part of macro photography. Um, if you ever work in macro, it is part of the deal. As you get closer and closer to one-to-one, there's a noticeable exposure difference. Um I don't think the iris automatically compensates for that. You're just going to have to compensate for it yourself. But the airy macro auto compensates for it. So you will hear clicking as you move the focus closer. You will hear the aperture compensate for it because, you know, it's airy. That lens costs a ton of money even to rent. I don't even – I used to rent it from Claremont out west. Claremont's gone. Um, expensive rental item. I do not expect that all of my – Macro lenses compensate for this, especially not an affordable one that I can afford. It's just something you should be aware of when you start doing macro work that exposure will change as you get the focus closer to the front of the lens. As the magnification factor comes up, pay attention. The image will get a little darker. You're going to have to compensate in other ways with aperture or um, adding more light to the scene. Lighting for macro work is a big deal. We have that. Uh, Irix has come out with their 150 macro, which got a lot of great reviews on the still photo blogs. It's now for motion pictures. And they seem to be hinting that they're going to be doing a lot more motion picture lenses. They're calling this 8K quality. Um, it's sort of a weird, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about that statement. Um, that just means it has a very high resolving power, very good modulation transfer function. I'm not obsessed with 8K. You know, like an 8K red camera still needs to be debared down to 4K. Resolution is not the most important thing in the world to me. Um, so I wonder about the 8K marketing. But I think what they're trying to sort of get at is that they're going to be doing sort of a uh, a line of 8K lenses, cinema-focused. And honestly, we have a lot of entrance. We have a lot of competition in the market right now. But that's great. That's exciting. And uh, I'm excited to get my hands on it and – give it a test and maybe it'll become a lens that I always keep around and take out on every job. Just so you've got a macro around for when you need it. Cause a macro lens, there's nothing quite as frustrating as when you're out there and you put on your normally longest lens and then you're like, ah, oh, but I want to be a little closer. And you're like, Oh, but I didn't bring a macro. So, uh, Irix 150 millimeter macro should be affordable. Look out for it. It'll be coming out soon. Next up in news this week, shot put has released a new version. Now there's one feature I'm going to talk about with this version. And I love the feature, and that's why I'm talking about it on the podcast today. But I also want to say I was just teaching this class, super experienced students, really great, having a lot of fun. And one of them wasn't using shot put or an equivalent uh, like Pomfort, Silverstack. There are many options, but shot put's the one I'm talking about now to do their file downloads. And so I just want to repeat, and you know, if you become a long-time listener to this podcast, you'll probably hear me say this twice a year. Finder is totally okay for downloading your files, but the problem with a Finder download or Windows Explorer or however you use files on a PC, the problem with downloading that way is there's no checking for the integrity of the copy. Real download media management applications like ShotPut and Silverstack, and actually there's a clone tool in DaVinci Resolve, which is free software. They check the integrity of the copy using something called a checksum verification. Too long to talk about what a checksum verification is in this podcast, but checksum verification is sure that the copy is correct. 
And this means you're way less likely to later on have corrupt files, especially if you keep doing a checksum verified copy every time you copy it. So like you download the card to an onset shuttle drive. You download that shuttle drive to the facility drive. You move from that facility drive to the color facility drive. If you do checksum every time, you're going to have way more reliable fire, file copies, way less likely to have like random corrupt files. I know files don't get corrupt very often, but it's a real bummer when they do get corrupt. So uh, ShopPut is one of those tools. ShopPut and Silverstack and other tools like them, these download media management tools, have um, more than just checksum verified copy. They will also give you a record so you can see a printout of like, ooh, I downloaded these files at this time. That's really good. At the end of the day, you hand it off to production. So you can keep track of what you've been downloading. There's a lot of benefits to moving to this kind of software, and you should be looking at it. If you're not using it already, you should totally be looking at it. And um, the new update from ShopPut has iOS integration and an iOS app. And what this means is I can start my download going on my laptop and I can wander away and my phone will notify me when it is done. Do I need to explain why that's awesome? Because that's awesome. Now, look, I'm just talking about how awesome this is for life on set. You should not be like leaving it downloading and then going out on a date with your significant other and like waiting on and checking your copies. Like you should live your lives. We should leave work at work like I'm not excited about the creeping of notifications into the rest of the world. I remember once I was at dinner with a bunch of friends and I like opened my phone and used Apple remote desktop on my phone to check a render. That's like bad. I think that's not the future we want to live in, but I'm on set. I got my download station going. I got a download going. I want to go talk to the producer about something. I want to go talk to the DP about something. I want to go to craft services and get a muffin. I would love that little notification on my phone. If you're using ShopPut, I think it's a really useful tool, the iOS integration. I'm excited to see it happening. I think it'll be really cool. And that update came out this week from ShopPut. So you guys should all look at ShopPut. All right. Last of the sort of lead tech stories this week is Moment has come out with an anamorphic adapter for the Mavic 2 drone. Moment, if you don't know them, they have an app for sort of like smartphone videography tools. They also have some lens adapters for smartphones. They do some really nice stuff, um, and they have an anamorphic adapter. I think Moondog actually had the first anamorphic adapter for smartphones. I had a Moondog a couple of years ago. Um, but I think Moment has been like more dominant recently. I don't keep enough track of the smartphone lens space. But I know they make nice popular stuff. What's exciting about this is – the Mavic 2 is not designed for interchangeable lenses. There are fancier drones, the Inspire, which is like three to five grand, uh, or obviously you buy a Matrix, which is like a full-on 10 grand kit, and then you still have to have a camera separate where you can swap out lenses and stuff like that. But the Mavic 2, for under two grand, you get a very beautiful drone, really beautiful images. It's the first time DJI, who owns a big chunk of Hasselblad, or maybe all of Hasselblad, has been putting the Hasselblad name on a drone. So clearly they really feel like the image quality lives up to that name, and the image quality really does. I've done a little testing on it. My buddy Randall Aswilto wrote a full review of it. Beautiful drone, great-looking imagery, but spherical imagery. So if I want a 2.39 to 5 aspect ratio, I have to put black bars on the top and bottom. I have to crop. And that cuts into my resolution. So what we used to do in the film days is we use anamorphic lenses and they would squeeze a 2.39 image into the full resolution of the film so that we were taking advantage of every single film grain. Digitally, we still use anamorphic adapters because we want to take advantage of every single pixel in that sensor to get the maximum resolution possible. The other thing you get out of an anamorphic adapter, obviously, is those nice streaky flares, cool hand lukey kind of flares that you only really get if you have a real optical anamorphic adapter on the front of the lens. 
Mavic 2, beyond everything else, the fact that Moment built this for Mavic 2 really tells me a lot about where Mavic 2 is succeeding, that like that Mavic 2 is very much owning the like, I'm an indie filmmaker, I can't really afford an Inspire. And I know very few people own Inspires, but I know a lot of people who are like circling Mavic 2s and whatnot. They seem to be, I think it's been a hit, is what I'm going to say. But it's not designed for interchangeable lenses. So Moment did the engineering to design a lens attachment that clips on to the Mavic 2, the same way they make one for the smartphone. But it's way easier to do it on a smartphone because you just make a case and then you clip an adapter on. A drone uses a three-axis stabilized head to stabilize that little camera that hangs beneath the drone, right? There's pan, tilt, and roll stabilization. And it's actively stabilizing full-time to compensate for the helicopter blades going, or not the, hel- the drone blades going, and any wind and any vibrations and anything, it has to stabilize all of that out, and it has to stabilize whatever movement you're making out. So there's a tremendous amount of technology going into taking that little camera head that dangles off the drone and keeping it stable. To add extra weight to that, that the, the DJI engineers did not design for, is very impressive. And the way they do it is really sneaky and interesting. So obviously the lens goes on the front. And then there's a strap that goes around to the back and there's a counterweight that goes at the back of the head so that the camera head's center of gravity stays in the exact same place. So your camera head's not going to become more front heavy. The overall unit's going to be heavier and that's probably going to cut into your battery life. Let's be real. Your drone time will probably lose a little bit, although it's only like 80 grams for the whole unit. So I don't think you're going to lose like a whole lot of battery life. But by keeping it really balanced, you're still going to have the same stability that you used to have. You're still going to have... Um, and you're not going to have extra battery being burnt trying to keep a front-heavy camera more stabilized. And it's a really slick design. There's not a lot of room in there. And so you can tell they've really, like, scalloped that counterweight to really slide right into its perfect spot. Super impressive. Really neat feat of engineering. They did a launch video. It's a little bit of a long launch video, but there's a lot of really beautiful footage. Uh, they did, like, an Iceland test. And there's, like, some really beautiful stuff in it. So if you own a Mavic 2 Pro, you should totally take a look at this. I think it's a worthwhile accessory. If you don't, but if you're like, I'm working on this animatic project, anamorphic project, and I want to make sure I have anamorphic drone stuff, maybe buy one of these and rent a Mavic 2 or hire a Mavic 2 drone operator or something like that. And you'll be able to get sort of an affordable anamorphic way up there in the sky. Very cool. All right. Up next. Hey, Professor. Jamie H. Jung asks, I've used Zoom's, I use Zoom's $100 field recorders but they're not really pro quality is there's a step up that doesn't cost $10,000 worth of gear. Renting's an option, but I like to spend a lot of time learning to operate devices. First off, totally true. Renting is renting is wonderful when you already know how to use something, but a lot of times with renting, you don't actually have a ton of time to really dig into it. One of the nice things about buying something when, when you can afford to buy it is you get to spend so much time with it. You get to know it much better. Usually I would say, I got to go to a, a sound expert and I'd bring in one of my sound experts like Travis Devin, who's going to uh, end up coming on this podcast sometime in the next couple of weeks. We keep trying to do- lock it in to do some sound spots. But I actually had just this very conversation with a sound friend of mine two weeks ago. And um, so I can give you the answer that my sound expert friend gave uh, because we just had this conversation. So first off, you mentioned the $100 Zoom recorder, which I think is what, like the H1? Zoom also makes something called the H6, which I think is like $350. I'm recording on a Zoom H6 right now. I've re- I recorded my wedding on it. I've rec- recorded a bunch of stuff on it for the last two years. There's actually quite a dramatic quality difference between the Zoom H1 and the Zoom H6. There's a lot of reasons for this. Uh, Zoom itself is a very interesting company, although I'm going to continue to be annoyed by their name because it makes them very hard to Google. It was the same problem I had with Apple Color. 
Um, I love Black Magic DaVinci Resolve because it's very easy when like something is crashing and I'm getting an error to be like Black Magic DaVinci Resolve file doesn't link, but like color file doesn't link would Google gibberish stuff. Um, zoom recorders. I have the same thing. Affordable zoom brings up all this lens stuff. It's very, yeah. Change your name company that I've only bought one thing from ever. Um, but the zoom recorder, the H six that I use all the time is actually pretty robust. So what happens is you get to a slightly more expensive recorder is you get some more features that you notice, right? You get more inputs, you get more interchangeable mics, you get stuff you see, but Separate from that, you also get better preamps. And that's the big thing that most audio people are super obsessed with is better preamps. So preamps take that audio signal that is coming in off your microphone or off your other line mixer, and then they amplify it. That's the amp part. But they do that before recording, hence preamp, as opposed to a post-amp that takes a recorded file and amplifies it. And because the recording process, actually the analog to digital conversion process and then the recording process – can lock in certain aspects of a file, you really want a good preamp that's taking that analog signal and amplifying it in a really great way before it gets recorded. My impression from talking to audio people is that they like the preamps much better on the H6 than on the H1. And if you're frustrated about the H1, it's not that you're frustrated with all of Zoom's technology. It is probably that you're frustrated with the H1 being $100 and the preamps they had to put in to make it work being a sacrifice. And so you should really consider looking at something like the H6, which like, as I said, this is being recorded on an H6 right now. You see them everywhere. They're very common. However, if you're willing to bump up a little bit more, there is a unit that is super popular with my sound nerd buddies under $1,000. I think it's 600 bucks. The Mix Pre. And there's a Mix Pre 3 and a Mix Pre 6 and maybe a Mix Pre 4. I don't remember. Um, and it's made by sound devices who are the same people that make like the super big 633 and stuff like that. And, um, the mix pre is super popular. Now there's no microphone built in. You're going to have to buy a separate microphone, but depending on what you're doing, you're probably using a separate microphone a lot anyway. And, uh, there's a lot of good affordable options. Um, deity has been doing some really crazy, impressive stuff. So deity is up to interesting things. There's like interesting things going on in the sound world. But I think that, uh, the mix pre like, from what I hear, the preamps are really amazing. The cashmere preamps are like one of their signature things. And it is the device that like my sound nerd buddy just bought two weeks ago. Um, so, you know, I was setting up something and he was setting up something and I brought out my A6 and he had a mix pre and I was like, Ooh, the mix pre should I upgrade? And he's like, well, you know, I have a microphone and if you're happy with the H6 sign, you're probably fine. Um, but you know, I, I was always going to be using my own microphone, so I didn't need the built-in microphone and the better preamps made the mix pre worth it for me. I will also say that I use the Zoom recorder to record my podcast when I'm back in my office, but I don't use the Zoom mic. I use a blue snowball to an XLR converter into the Zoom. There it is. You don't have to spend $10,000. You don't have to get a sound device of 633. Obviously, the sound device of 633 is an amazing recorder, and people love it. And there's a whole bunch of other sort of big, in the $5,000 space, amazing recorders with tons of inputs if you're going to be a professional audio recorder. But if it's just like I'm a general filmmaker and I want to have as many different tools as possible to be useful – I'd look at the H6 and I'd look at the mix pre line and then I'd start looking at mics. I think my buddy Travis did a review of the deity. The deity he was super impressed by for the price. He was like, yeah, for the price, it's amazing. It's not as good as his mic that costs six times as much, but it doesn't cost six times as much. And there's some other affordable microphones that are getting super popular out there. Um, but again, the H6, you can have those little built in microphones that people have been pretty happy with. So although I, I do record, even in the field, I have a separate handheld mic with my H6. So I only use the onboard mic as a back up and I have like a, a road recorder handheld mic I use. Um, all right. So that has been another week in the week in film tech. 
We'll be back next week with video because I will be back from Main Media Workshops. Main Media Workshops rules, by the way. They're not paying me to say that, although they are paying me to teach. But it's been this amazing, like, summer campy kind of experience where, like, they have meals every day. So, like, breakfast, lunch, and dinner are all served outside in this tent. And, like, you're sitting there and you're randomly talking to, like, a producer that you've never met before about their career and what they're working on. And it's it's sort of like a really nice, wonderful atmosphere. Amy Vincent is teaching a class here this week, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, Main Media Workshops wasn't. It's it's cool. Not a paid endorsement. Just I'm having a good week in Maine. And uh, yeah, subscribe wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Always feel free to hit me up on Twitter for Hey Professor questions. Tell your friends about the podcast. If they're film nerds, if you learned about something cool here and you find yourself telling your friends about it, you should be like, hey, and you can also know this cool stuff at The Week in Film Tech. And, um, yeah, I'm also thinking about doing more product reviews. I've got a few reviews coming up. So hit me up if you think that you would also like pay attention to product reviews in this space. I usually write up product reviews, but I'm getting a lot of people telling me they'd rather the product review be a video. So I'm thinking I might do some of that. Sign up for the mailing list at weekinfilmtech.com where you, I will, I include links to any articles that I talk about here. Um, that's all I do. I don't like spam or anything. And yeah, Charles Zane, Weekend Film Tech. 